Good morning. Merry Christmas. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there an echo? I thought I heard an echo. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The theme of 1 Peter is hope. So there you see three of the great authors, three of the greatest authors in the New Testament, Peter, James, uh, Peter and Paul and John, and you see their main thrusts of faith and hope and love, but all based on grace. There you see grace and hope, and we're going to come back to this chart uh, probably next week. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to get into an introduction of 1 Peter. You say, well, we're just finishing 1 Peter from the pulpit in the next, in the next service, but uh, we're just going to keep on plowing through until we find ourselves on top of each other. Uh, the good thing about the Bible is you never reach the bottom of it. Every time you read, there's, there's something new, there's something different, and Peter, one of the things that we're going to get to is why does Peter write these epistles? And one of the words is to remind us. In 2 Peter, uh, in the King James, it says to stir up your pure minds. And uh, yesterday, my daughter Elizabeth made this great big pot of chicken soup. Now, I don't know about you, but when I eat chicken soup and I get to serve it to myself... I don't skim off the top where there's just broth and there's grease and whatever else. John, how do you get your chicken soup? You stir it up. You get the good stuff off the bottom. So you just, you just scoop off the bottom, okay? So Peter says to stir up your pure minds into remembrance. Peter's going to talk about, and we see in that first verse, he talks about living hope. And here you're going to see holy living, they're splitting those, that's one idea, living hope, and then splitting it into two ideas, holy living and hope in the midst of suffering. We're going to come back to that chart. So we're going to go through the famous who, what, when, where, why, and how, but we're going to save the who for the end because we'll spend most of the time today talking about who is Peter. So what is he writing about? He's writing about hope in suffering. You know, it's easy to have hope when all things are going well. When things are starting to go to pieces, then all of a sudden you, the depression comes in and, oh, and the Eeyore complex comes in. But Peter would like for us to have a hope in all circumstances, just like Paul wrote. He wrote that we should pray in thanksgiving in all circumstances. So when did he write this thing around the year 60 AD? Where he wrote it from a Gentile church. So you see there in 1 Peter, he says, she, meaning the church, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. Now, Babylon could mean that he was in, he was in Iraq somewhere, but Babylon could also mean Rome. And a lot of folks believe that uh, Peter found his way to Rome, and that's where he was crucified. 
And if the Lord tarries and we go through 1 Peter and 2 Peter and 1 and 2 and 3 John and Jude and we get to Revelation, you'll see around chapter 17 another reference to Babylon. We'll get to that, Lord willing and Lord tarrying. So where Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. There you see in Acts chapter 8, that's right after the stoning of Stephen, the great persecution arose, and the Christians that were in Jerusalem, they scattered. And in fact, when we studied James, James begins by saying, James, a servant of God and of Jesus Christ, and to the 12 tribes who are scattered. And we're going to see that same word scattered in the first verse of, um, of Peter. So the apostles stayed, but then over time, they started to spread out as well. Acts 1, verse 8, And you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, and that's where they stayed originally, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Why? Why did Peter write his epistles? We know that uh, John wrote his gospel. He said, these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. He wrote that people would read that gospel and be saved. Why did Peter write his epistles? So we ask the question, why? Dear friends, this is now my second letter to me. I've written both of them, the reason for both of his epistles. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Stir up your pure minds. We talked about that before everybody settled in. To stir up, to put us into remembrance I want you to recall the words spoken in the past. He's saying, well, what are you going to remind me of? You're going to remind me of the things that have been written. Uh, when we get down to who was Peter, uh, we're going to ask the question, what kind of education did Peter have? And uh, I had to do some research there, and I found some, found some interesting things. We're going to get to that. But he says, I want you to recall. He's not saying, I want to tell you anew the things that the prophets writ have written. He says, I want you to recall the words that were spoken of the prophets. So we're continuing on. Why did he write those epistles? We have now in first in chapter one. So I will always remind you of these things. So there's really, there, there's two punchlines. To remind you and keep it in your remembrance. He says, so I will always remind you of these things even though you know them. If there's something new that you're expecting out of Sunday school, it's not going to happen. It's the same old, same old. And if I stay healthy and the Lord wills, I'll just keep on giving you the same old, same old. I want to remind you and I want to keep it in your head. And Paul's going to say, and I want you to keep it there even after I'm gone. He says, so I always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. I was standing outside with uh, Bernie and Jim Kreider. 
put my arm around Jim, and I said, Jim, I'm looking at your carcass, and you're looking at mine, because one day we're going to put off this, NIV says tent, King James says tabernacle, and later on in the hour, I'm going to ask the question, is there something that you've heard or that you've said that has defined itself over time, or that has haunted you over time, or that maybe that you've kept in your heart and your brain over time. I often quote my first pastor, I quote my dad all the time, and I'm going to ask that question of you, and I'll give you some interesting examples. Yea, I think it made as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Why did Peter write these things? So that we could have these things in the forefront of our minds. And when Peter's gone, and this hour is gone, you keep them in the forefront of your mind. Ever get a song stuck in your head? You want me to ruin your Sunday school class? Leader of the pack. Just think for a second how that song goes. And I've just ruined your Sunday school because you're not going to get that out of your head. It's sort of like saying, don't think of pink elephants. And it's stuck in your head. Paul is saying, I want these things, this scripture, to be stuck in your head. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Why do teachers give illustrations? Why did Jesus speak parables? We spoke parables to confuse the Pharisees, but why did he give those earthly stories? They're illustrations so that they would stick. So now we're going to get down to the how. How did Peter write that stuff? Well, 2 Timothy, the Bible says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. But Timothy, uh, Peter also answers this. He says, for prophecy never had its origins in a human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, If you took somebody that had a, an okay education, and I'll say Peter, and we're going to define the different kinds of educations they had back in those days, and you had somebody that had an excellent education, like Paul. We'll take somebody who graduates from Octorara versus somebody who graduates from the University of Penn. If both of those guys were going to write something down do you think they would have a different vocabulary? Probably, okay? Probably. If they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to give them truth, but not necessarily expand their vocabulary. They're speaking of themselves, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. All true, by the way. Who was the audience of Peter's uh, epistles? We know that the audience of the different churches that Paul wrote to, he wrote to the saints at Rome. He wrote to the Christians at Corinth. James wrote to the 12 tribes, to the Hebrew believers. So the question becomes, who did Peter write to? Well, we see that in the very first verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to God's elect. He was writing to saved people, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithypia. Now, we just read in Acts chapter 8 that said they were dispersed. But I want you to take a look at that map. Where's this button? We read about Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. There's Pontus, Galatia, and Cappadocia. And this area, which is modern Turkey, is what in Bible times they referred to as China, as, as Asia. They weren't talking about Russia or Mongolia or China. They were talking about Turkey. So he's writing to those people that ended up in that portion of the geography. Now, this is Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, etc., etc., Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. He could have been writing to the same people that received Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. They came to Jerusalem because the law said that on certain days you had to come to Jerusalem, and so uh, it was the, the feast of the, the Passover, it was the feast of Pentecost, and it was the feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus, who kept the law, visited on every one of those feasts. And people from up there in what is modern-day Turkey, they came... Did they all come? I don't know. Did they come three times a year? I don't know. But some came and they heard Peter. And then they got a letter from Peter. So that's Peter's audience. Does that mean we're not Peter's audience? No. That's why, it's, that's why that word is, is kept, kept alive in, in Scripture. So we're going to ask the question now, who was Peter. So I'm going to ask you to give me a hand. If When you read or you think about Peter, what do you think about? What are some of his traits? He was outspoken. Of course he was. Somebody else? A man of faith. Absolutely. Okay, let's dig in. Who was Peter? First of all, he wasn't born Peter. His name was Simon, which means to hear or heard. Now, the 12 tribes of Israel, there was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. I'll quit there before I embarrass myself. But Simeon is the Aramaic form, and Simon is the direct translation into Greek. So somebody that hears or somebody that obeys. And we're going to find that name to become really interesting as we study deeper into, uh, in, into the life of Peter. Simon Bar-Jonah, he says, Thou art Peter, thou art the rock, and upon that rock I will build my church. Now, if you went outside there and you picked up something about that big, you would probably call that a pebble. If you picked up something that was about this big, you would call that a stone. If you picked up something that was about this big, you would call that a rock. 
And if you picked up one of those things that people used to landscape and to build uh, retaining walls, you would call that a boulder. So when Jesus was saying, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, he was having a play on words. He was saying, Thou art a rock, but upon this boulder, meaning Jesus, I will build my church. So you see these different names, and we're going to find those names interesting. He also calls Cephas. Now that's just another word that translates, that, that's the Greek, the, the Aramaic word that translates into rock. But his name was Hear, Obey, Rock. What was his occupation? Fisherman. Fisherman, is that his only occupation? He was also a shepherd. Now it's interesting, a fisher and a shepherdman. A shepherdman, how do you like that? A fisherman and a shepherd. Now, uh, if you take that phrase, fishers, fishers of men, remember, you know, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's King James Version. When we talk about the human relationship, a fisher of men or a feeder of men, what's the difference between those two? If you catch a fish, how long do you keep it in the boat? Long enough till you're out of the boat and it's gutted and you eat it, right? The fisher of men is the evangelist, and the shepherd of men is the pastor. So he was both an evangelist and a pastor. You can see in Acts chapter 2, when he went out and he gave his, his message on the day of Pentecost, he was a, an evangelist. But then as he was moving these people along, he was a pastor. What about his strength? Do you picture Peter as being a strong man? I get a yes over here, thank you. Over here. This comes from John chapter 21. He said, this is Jesus, he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, if you read all of chapter 21, you'll find something very interesting. At that moment, Peter was not in that boat. What happened was, they're out fishing all night, they caught nothing, and Jesus says, Hey guys, did you catch anything? Of course, he knew that they didn't catch anything. Did you catch anything? And one of the apostles says, It's the Lord. And as soon as, uh, as soon as that happened, Peter jumps into the water. He was not in the boat. Peter jumps into the water, and after that, Jesus says, throw your net on the other side and you'll catch all kinds of fish. Now watch what's going to happen. Peter's not in the boat. And those that were left in the boat were unable to haul in the fish because of so many of them. Watch what happens. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. The other apostles couldn't do it as a team, but they needed Peter to finish the job. So was he a strong man? Well, yeah. Can you imagine his hands? Did you ever shake hands with an Amishman? How would you describe an Amishman's hand? 
I wish Lesh Hershey were here because he would do a good job. How would you describe an Amishman's hand? Strong, okay. Calloused. If some of those Amish teenagers were allowed to wrestle, can you imagine the risk control? But they're not going to wrestle, and so these English can just play games. His hands were rough, calloused. They were strong hands. They may be fat hands, because not, well, fat in terms of large, not fat in terms of flabby. But big hands. You get a picture of Peter. He was strong. He was big. Now, who was Peter? Now, this is not an actual painting of Peter because they did not have books at that time. Okay? I found this and I have to share it with you. The heading underneath that thing was Peter cringes over the dumb stuff he did. I just want to read to you. This is, this is the caption that came with that picture that Google brought for me. It's a, a scene in heaven. Oh, man, guys, please don't read the one where I fall into the water again, he said, putting his hand on his face as he gathered with the other disciples for some eternal fellowship and reading of the New Testament. Now, I find it interesting. The Bible tells us that we're going to remember former things no more. And yet the Bible says that the word of God is eternal. How do those two fit together? And this is a, a, a jovial way to think about that. They could be reviewing in Scripture how Peter denied the Lord. What's he not going to remember? Or what's he going to convert that thought into? And we're going to get into Peter denying the Lord if the clock behaves itself. Peter denied the Lord, and the Bible, in Luke's Gospel, the Bible says Jesus turned and looked at him. Now that word looked wasn't just optio, I can see. It was looked into him. And Peter turned and wept bitterly. What was Peter's emotion at that time? It's the only one that's answering questions. Guilt, that's exactly right. Was Peter, would, would Peter be guilty in heaven? No, in our vernacular, we would use the word, it's all good. Peter would be praising God for the forgiveness that he received, and we'll get into more of the other things that, that happened as we, as we march through this thing. So let me finish this paragraph here. But the others insisted on reading the narrative of all the times Peter put his foot in the mouth during Jesus' ministry, from the time he suggested they build houses for Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, to the time Jesus was forced to rebuke him for suggesting he didn't need to go to the cross. Peter cringed while his friends cracked up over the story where Peter tells Jesus he can't wash his feet and then says he actually wants Jesus to give him a bath. Sources also claim the Apostle John read the story where he beats Peter in a foot race to the tomb several times, emphasizing the fact that Peter ran so slowly that John actually won, even with a head start. So to, to position Peter versus John, I said Peter was a strong man. Any Eagles fans? Peter was Lane Johnson. John was Devontae Smith. 
Lane Johnson was a lineman. He could probably break Devontae Smith in half. But then Devontae Smith could run the 40 yards faster than I can even say 40 yards. So here we are. Who is Peter? And we're going to continue answering that question. There's Peter in a, a more interesting look. Some people refer to Peter as the David of the New Testament. Now, how many times did, did David ever mess up? That's an easier question to answer rather than how many. Yeah, he, he messed up, right? And yet in the book of Acts, they referred to David as a man after God's own heart. So David messed up. Peter messed up. The reason we're going through this question, who is Peter, who, who was, who is Peter, is we can compare Peter to ourselves. Do I many times put my foot in the mouth? Well, duh, yeah. Do I many times do things that I would regret? Duh, yeah. Are we growing in the Lord? We should be. So he was the David of the New Testament. How about this one? If Peter can, I can. Now, I thought we we're going to get to this education. I was reading about education, and in my mind, I always thought, well, Peter was just a fisherman, and he was just, you know, once he could bait a hook, that's, that's what he did. But then I got to studying. The school of the book. The school of the book was one of the things that... Uh, the synagogues started doing, and every kid, starting when they were about five or six, I guess as soon as they could sit still, and we would call that tiny tots or whatever, they would go to school a half a day, every day, six days a week, until they were about 14 or 15 years old. Now, they didn't get to study critical race theory or biology or philosophy, what would you guess they studied? Scripture, Scripture yes, that, that's why it's called the school of the book. Here's another interesting factoid. Literacy was common in Israel as early as 1000 B.C. Now, 1000 B.C., I've told you this before, if you want to very quickly figure out history in the Bible. Zero is Jesus, 1,000 is David, 2,000 is Abraham, and then you put right in between. Uh, between David and Abraham was Moses, and between David and, and uh, Jesus was the, the, the Babylonian captivity. So a thousand years ago, the thousand years BC was right around the time of David. It was after, if we were studying Daniel, we would talk about the Babylonians, and then they were taken over by the Medes-Persians, and then they were taken over by the Greeks, and in between there came, along that way came the kingdoms of Saul and David and Solomon, and while all that was going on, the one thing that Alexander the Great did was he brought a common language from Italy to India, that language of Greek. And along the way, I don't know if it was because of the Babylonian captivity or whatever it was, but the common man could no longer read ancient Hebrew. So what they did around 300 BC, 70 scholars, Jewish scholars, got together 
and translated the Old Testament into Greek. That's why that book's called the Septuagint. It means 70. 70 Jewish scholars translated that book into Greek. And that was the book that was being studied in the school of the book. It was the book that was the Bible of the common person. Now, what happened after the age of 15, those that had either money or brains, which maybe one or the other, I mean, you don't have to be uh, smart to go to a place like Penn. You just have to have a lot of money. Or if you're broke, you have to have a lot of brains. If you happen to have both, that's a pretty good bonus. But people like Peter, age 15, 14, around there, he became a fisherman. A person like Saul of Tarsus, he became, he went to the, the school of study. And that's where those kids, just like going the pen, that's where those kids got to learn ancient Hebrew and the, and, and the, the, the uh, teachings of all the rabbis. If we talk about the Torah, that was the, the scripture. And then the Mishnah is what all the rabbis added to it. That's, that's what Saul of Tarsus was studying. And we're going to bring all this stuff into, at that time, contemporaries. Saul studied at the foot of Gamaliel. Saul mentions that. Gamaliel's also mentioned in Acts where Peter and John were brought in front of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, they call him the teacher. So the teachers of the school of study were people like Nicodemus and Gamaliel. One of the students was somebody like Saul. So did, he, did, did Peter have an education? Yes, he had, if you did the math, I'm not going to do it right here, but six half days a week, so six fifties, that's 300 times about 10, 3,000 half days of Bible study. That's a lot of Bible study. Now, there you see, whoa, wrong button. There you see Nazareth and Capernaum. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, and Peter grew up in Capernaum. So there's 20 miles apart. Now, if you took a school district like Oxford or Solanco, and you went to school, you would know the people from Oxford or Solanco. Now, I don't think they had varsity sports at that time, but who here has ever had an opportunity to go to camp as a kid? Anybody go to camp as a kid? Okay, one, two hands, good, good. Did you, did you make friends at camp? What if you went to camp and met those same friends every year? It didn't matter that they're 20 miles apart. When you went to camp, you were buddies, right? Well, here's what's happening. During the youth of Jesus, and Andrew, and Peter, and James, and John, they came down to Jerusalem on those high feasts. And they didn't march through Samaria. They would all come together and congregate. And as a caravan, they would be going along the Jordan River, down to Jericho, and then up into Jerusalem. 
And while they were going that way, they would sing. If you have your Bibles and you go into uh, some of the titles of the Psalms, they call them the Psalms of the Ascensing. The Psalms of Going Up. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. They were singing these psalms up and down that riverbed as they were going and as they were going home. Now, they lost Jesus when he was 12 years old. That meant that he was with the other kids or maybe with broader family or something. When you were 12 years old, did you hang around with mom and dad full time? I didn't. Who did I hang around with? My pals. Who did I get in trouble with? My pals. So they may have known each other throughout all that time. Now, Jesus comes down to Jerusalem at 12 years old, and why did Mary and Joseph lose him? Because he stepped foot into the school of study. And who could have been in the school of study? Could have been Nicodemus. Could have been Gamaliel. One of the students could have been Saul of Tarsus. You know, we use the phrase today, it's a small world, right? A couple weeks ago, I went to Shady Maple, and who do I run into? John Hostetter, okay? And many, many times you run into somebody who knows somebody, next thing you know, you say, man, it really is a small world. Well, we've got billions of people in the world right now. There weren't that many that, then. And from Nazareth down to Jerusalem's only 90 miles. It was a really small world. So they may have known each other throughout all that time. That was an interesting diversion. Let me get back here, okay? So who was Peter? David of the New Testament. Education, we talked about that. His name is always listed first. Does that mean he was the leader? No, James, James was the leader. You find that in Acts chapter 15 and Galatians chapter 2. He was the oldest, and the first, test, the first century writers uh, mentioned that he was the oldest. He was also part of the group of three, Peter, James, and John. So in a private sort of way, he was there when he saw Jairus' daughter raised. Now, when Jesus asked that girl to get up, he said, Tabitha Kumi, little girl, get up. Years later, we're coming, to, we're coming to that question I was going to ask, and that is, have you heard or said something that's either grown on you or has defined itself? Years later, he raises up a lady with the same words. The transfiguration, and this comes again to Peter uh, and putting his foot in his mouth. What did Peter suggest at the transfiguration? He must have been a Boy, a boy Scout. What did he say? He said, let's build tabernacles because it's good for us to be here. And the voice came out of heaven that said, this is my beloved son. At baptism, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, he said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. 
Or this is my beloved son, Peter Hosh. Peter was also one of the three at Gethsemane. And what did Jesus say to Peter, James, and John at Gethsemane? At Gethsemane? Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Strongest, but not necessarily the fastest. I've already talked about Lane Johnson versus Devante Smith. He was an apostolic witness. Now, in Acts chapter 1, they define what an apostle must be. He must be someone who has actually seen the risen Christ. He was an apostolic witness. And he writes in 2 Peter, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now we're going to take a look at that word witness. Eyewitness, he was more than an eyewitness. That word eyewitness comes on the word epi, which means to on, like your epidermis is the, the skin that, that's on top, epi, and opto. In other words, somebody who has seen something. If there was a crash out here and you were waiting to go past the stop sign, you would have witnessed the crash. You looked upon the cars coming together. Now, witness means something more than that. He was more than an eyewitness. He was a martyr. That's where we get the word martyr from. He was a witness. Now, let's talk about the crash, or make it worse. Let's say there was a robbery at Criters. And Sean, you saw the robbery at Criters. You saw who did it. You saw everything about it. Okay? So the police catch this guy, and they're having a trial, and you get a subpoena that says you need to come and testify about what you saw. You were an epioptus at Criters, but then they're asking you to be a testifier. I don't want to confuse by saying be a martyr. They wanted you to be a testifier in court. So if you've ever been to court or saw Perry Mason or something like that, they invite somebody to come up to the stand. You sit down. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God, I do. And then they ask you your name. And if it's a name like Scrabback, they ask you to spell it and your residence. And then they say, Sean, in your own words, explain what you saw. And then what I'm trying to tell you, Sean would say, well, I was there buying a sub, and they were making it. And I saw this guy come out, and he pulled a gun. But what if Sean just sat there and he tightened his tie and he smiled, he flicked some dust off his sport coat? Is he a testifier? No, no you were an eyewitness, but you weren't a testifier, were you? No. Acts 1, verse 8 and you shall be testifiers of me. And he said that to the 120 plus people that were there, and he was saying that to us. 
I can go out there and say, look at me, I'm a Christian. But what did I see? What did I experience? What's happening in my life? If I just tighten my tie and knock a piece of dust off my suit, I'm not a testifier. So Peter was an eyewitness. He looked upon, but he was also a testifier. He was an eyewitness, a testifier, and then he died for Christ. So I exhort the elders among you. He was not just a witness. He was an elder. As a fellow elder, you see that. Who here is an elder? Every hand should go up. That doesn't mean that you're an officer in this church. That means you have a position. You're a dad. You're a dad. You're a dad. Your job is just getting complicated. (laughs) You're a dad. You're a dad. I'm a teacher. We have a position and we're just like Peter. James wrote, and he says, be careful being a teacher because you're being held to a higher standard. He was a faithful servant. Peter writes, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the part I really wanted to get to. We're going to just, I guess, go a little bit over. He was a sinner saved by grace. If somebody said to you, Willie, describe yourself. Depending upon the context, if somebody said to me, John, describe yourself, depending on the context, I might say, well, I'm a father of six, a grandfather of 12, and one on the way. To somebody else, I might say, I work for Oracle, I'm in my 27th year, and I do this, that, and the other thing. But I'm really a sinner saved by grace. We were talking about that at Oracle every Wednesday. We have a Zoom-based Bible study. And we were talking about who are you. And somebody spoke up and said, did you know so-and-so on LinkedIn, the very first word was Christian? I looked it up. Then I looked up myself. And I put the word Christian right there as the first word. You look me up in Facebook, it's the same thing. Who am I? I'm a sinner saved by grace. Peter says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. I'm going to stop on that verse right there, but we've got more things that we'll pick up next week. Imagine Peter, rough, gruff, strong, manly, uses a word like precious. Now, I'm not talking about Lord of the Rings. He uses his word precious faith. What did he have that was of value? His precious faith. And let's quit right there.